Hello, well, account is running, which means that the podcast is a go for this month, so we'll get on with it. Um, it's been quite a interesting June. There's been plenty going on. I've been, um, I've been working on a website for a client and uh, various other different things have come up. There's a bit of news about the uh, Edinburgh Seven Hills book, which I'll mention in a while. But I'll start off with a link. Um, I was originally going to include this link at the end, but I think I'll just sort of talk about it briefly now. And this is about um, a BBC news story that came out on 24th of June. And this is about Olympus quitting the camera business after 84 years. Basically, Olympus, one of the once one of the world's biggest camera brands, is selling off that part of its business after 84 years. Um, basically, it's because of an extremely severe digital camera market uh, that's no longer profitable for them. And the arrival of smartphones has shrunk the market for separate cameras. Uh, and that was one major factor in its decision. So it's rather sad to see Olympus um, go like that. Back in the 1980s when I was starting out getting an, uh, an interest in photography, you know, the Olympus brand was pretty damn strong. Um, they had the OM4 tie came out, which when it was reviewed, reviewed was, you know, it was a great camera for the money. Um, yeah. It had professional quality um, build and professional quality functionality, but not at exorbitant prices. And, you know, it certainly was a brand that I I'd always took interest in uh, whenever reviews and things came in. Never actually used an Olympus camera apart from an Olympus XA4 35mm um, camera which is a little compact camera that used to be my grandpa's and if Olympus cameras from the 80s are anything like that it's a fantastic bit of gear really really is um, the thing that I always liked about Olympus was that they, you know, you could start off with um, a fairly rudimentary camera. They used to have the the OM10, which was basically just an automatic um, camera, really. But then they used to have these little adapters that you used to be able to put into the front to give you manual mode, so you had a bit more control if you wanted to get a bit more creative. But then they used to go up in, like I say, they probably the flagship was the OM4 tie at the time. But they also used to do they some of the early bridge cameras where the lens and everything is built in, um, self-contained camera, sort of a super compact in a way, um, which are quite common now for digital photography. But I remember the ones coming out for 35mm. One of the keenest um, exponents of those cameras was Patrick Litchfield. I actually saw one of his old bridge cameras at an exhibition. Um, it was a travelling exhibition. I saw it at Nonington Hall of his work. And there were some brilliant images taken throughout his career. 
And they also had some of his cameras, some of his old Olympus cameras, some of the OM4s and things like that. It was really sad to see, actually, just to see this the cameras from this great photographer just sat there behind this, in this perspex box, just to be looked at rather than actually in his hands being used. Um, I suppose it comes to all cameras. And all photographers, eventually, um, were not immortal, but it just seemed to have quite an impact uh, looking at these old cameras that were just uh, just sat there you know they just weren't you know they were never going to be used again they were historical items that were and there's probably nothing sadder than the camera that's never going to be used again but yeah so Olympus another one that's um, gone out of the business Konica, Minolta, even the mighty Rolly, who back in the late 80s made some cameras that I totally used to drool over, have decided to get out of the uh, camera or photography business. Uh, in the case of uh, Konica and Minolta, I don't believe they do anything photography related now. I think basically as a brand they've gone. Rolly have decided that they're going, that they've gone into accessories so if you want a rolly tripod or a camera bag or something like that then you can still get that but basically any of the camera stuff that they used to make and the excellent lenses um actually i think the lenses used to be carl zeiss i think so they didn't actually but you know the cameras themselves uh were absolutely fantastic but you know it was a case of them moving on to something else in this digital era and even now you are talking really really silly money for medium format digital cameras um you're talking you know several several thousand pounds for a camera so it's it's and it's not a huge market either you are really talking about the professional market or certainly keen amateurs with deep pockets but um, it just moves on. The smartphone, I would imagine, is largely responsible for all of this. Uh, like they've said about it being one major factor. You've got something in there, communication device that can shoot video, that can shoot really good high-quality images. Yeah, it does have limitations, but, you know, what are you going to do? It's something that you can just stick in your pocket and just carry around. Uh, it's an amazing device. Uh, but something's got to give somewhere else, hasn't it? And how many people do you see these days, even on holiday, carrying a camera around with them? Um, you don't. Um, even I get stopped. Go, is, that a, is that a film camera? Uh, yeah. Because, uh, I mean, in a lot of cases, film cameras are now seen as either professional or uh, the really extreme enthusiast um or people who are liking to sort of like find out about it you know they're fed up with the they've, they're fed up with the uh immediacy of the digital image but for the vast majority of uh people it's a smartphone or their little digital camera that they've uh, got from pc world somewhere and you know that, that works for them i know my sister's like that she's got two she's got a little bridge camera and then she's got her smartphone and she when she goes on holiday uses both smartphone will do most of what she wants 
And then if it's something that she needs to zoom into, she can just use her little bridge camera. So there is still a market, but it must have shrunk immensely over the last few years as people just say, oh, well, my smartphone will do. So sad news. But, you know, um, it sounds as though Olympus brand will be doing other things, other media devices. So it's not like Olympus as a brand will totally disappear. But it's just a shame that there won't be any more cameras anymore. But I think they kind of like lost their way a bit towards uh, when all of this digital technology and digital cameras started kicking off. So on that well, we'll move on from that. Um, it's a bit of sad news, but, you know, plenty of camera manufacturers have uh, have gone before. So and I, I'm sure that others will uh, go in future. The market's just shrinking that much. Um, we will get on about a bit of website news. Not really very much about the website to talk about, apart from I've changed the theme slightly from a box theme to a wide theme, which I think has improved the site immensely it makes it look a bit more modern uh makes it look a bit of a cleaner layout um it's been one of two little sort of like uh improvements uh, the only thing that was posted on the website was early in the month and that's holding on to history which i put into the news section i got an absolutely fabulous um print to copy and basically i talk about that i think i mentioned it in the last podcast i might have done uh but it, it's really just highlighting what can be done copying wise and size doesn't really matter it doesn't matter how big photo it is a photo can be copied so really that's what that's about but it's i just go into the detail of how these photographs are important and how we need to keep on holding on to these images. Um, a lot of old photographs tend to be tucked away and we probably lose several hundred each day just by them either fading away or getting damp and destroyed by mould or there can be all sorts of things that can destroy a picture. Light even. How ironic. Light creates it and light destroys it i suppose that's probably the perfect way for a a photo to go but there was plenty of ways of um archiving them and making them extending their life which really is what the holding on to history article is about um other than that there's not really very much on the website to sort of like talk about right photo books now, during the COVID thing, I decided to sort of hold back from releasing uh, the first book that I was going to do this year, which is the Edinburgh Seven Hills book. Depending on what happens in the next sort of like four to six weeks, I am hoping that I might be able to get it released in September, which will be great. Get it out the door get it released and then there's just the final one for this year which is the two towns books so both of them are edinburgh books one's black and white uh mobile photography the other one is photography taken with a regular camera around edinburgh in color 
if both of those can go out, then that will be both of those books can go out. That'll be that'll be great this year. Um, but hopefully September, that's the way that I'm planning to release it at the moment. Greatly depends on what happens. I mean, if the COVID thing kicks up, because largely it's about finances and just keeping a tight rein on what's going out. But at the moment, it hasn't been too bad. Touchwood, there's been work coming in. Um, I hadn't actually realised how remote friendly I was as a photographer. Again, a lot of this is digital. It is being thirty-five mil. Um, photographic prints and all that. It might have been a different story, but I can email work. I can um, do jobs like building websites for clients without ever having to meet them face-to-face. The Zoom meetings and all sorts of things that you can do these days, which helps it. So I I was quite surprised about... I never realised how remotely I'd actually been working before this. But it's sort of gradually crept in over the years. Um, but yeah, that's the books I do want to, to try and get out this year, if at all possible, regardless of uh, of COVID. Um, especially the the one near Christmas, the Two Towns one, because that will be on the fifth anniversary of that visit to Edinburgh again. Um, you know, so it's it's it'd be nice to release it at that time and get it out the door, and then I can start concentrating on a couple of biggies when it book wise. Um, there has been a lot of interest in the Scottish landscapes one, which I would also like to get out next year. Uh, there's the Norfolk images as well. I mean, if I could get some of those books out, so that at the end of next year, um, the a lot of the books that are listed on the website would actually be out. That'd be brilliant, and that would certainly make up for that eight-year gap that there was where I was dillying and dallying about and basically making wrong decisions and overcomplicating things. That was a big thing that I did. Um, but we'll have to we'll have to see how the COVID thing goes. Um, Instagram. Recently, I've been adding some of the work from my 1996 Territorial Army project, uh, which has been going down really well. I'm going to carry on with that. It's sort of like dribs and drabs. It's coming out usually about one, two, three images a week, something like that. Uh, It's just nice to go over old work. And I certainly regard the territorial stuff as some of my best documentary photography. Um, anything else? I don't think so. When it comes to to news and everything, it's been pretty. With the website, it's just been a bit of tidying up, really, and just changing one or two bits of text. And it is looking really good now. The website is running very well too. Had a bit of a spring clean with some of the plugins and realised that some of them I didn't really need anymore, so got rid of those. Um, so it's it's coming along nicely that's that's the main thing the website i really do love my website um it's my channel it's as simple as that it's somewhere where i can show my images somewhere if i 
want to talk about something it's it's that important to me so i like it being as good as it can be uh improving it and like i said to uh, a client recently about i can't remember who came out with the saying about you know that um films are never completed they're just abandoned um but it's pretty much actually the same with a website. Websites just continually evolving and or it should be at least. I think the good ones should be where they're just continually evolving. So that's really what I'm doing with mine. But at the moment there hasn't been a huge amount of work done apart from changing the layout, which was literally just pressing a button and saving it and thinking, Oh, that looks a lot better. So the wide um format rather than the boxed on the website is just uh just makes it look more modern just looks cleaner uh, less fussy which is what i which is what i like so that is it i will get on now to the links so that we don't end up with a huge podcast i say huge podcast i mean most of my podcasts are usually about 25 minutes uh some of the ones that i listen to that i follow are two and a half hours or three hours, three hour podcast. Can you imagine that? Three hour, three hours of me. My God, how horrible! <laughs> right, links. We will get on with. Well, where should we start? Right, I think we'll start. I realise mentioning the Olympus um, news story from the BBC that uh, that link will be included with the podcast links but I thought it'd be quite interesting to have a look at one or two things that just sort of popped up that I found interesting. The first one is Stuart Franklin's photograph of the famous tank man um, Tiananmen Square late 1980s 89 uh, China and eventually the student protests that were taking place at Tiananmen Square were uh, ended by the People's Liberation Army in Beijing in June 1989. Really what Franklin is going on about is how his photograph of the tank man stopping a column of T-59 uh, tanks in Tiananmen Square. I don't know whether actually they are T-59s. I will have to have a look at that eventually. Um, I mean, you know, if Magnum say the T-59 is the T-59, but I don't know whether the T-59 existed or not. It's a tank number that I haven't... Uh, tank type that I haven't heard of before. Uh, I've heard of the T-60, um, or T 62. Um, but anyway, I digress. Basically, Franklin... Um, in this essay on the page, uh, it's an edited excerpt from his essay in the book The Media and the Cold War in the 1980s, which was released in 2018. Um, he basically explores how his photograph was not the only one made of the tank man, and nor did his or the others spring to instant fame. 
and he reflects on the concept of iconic photographs, uh, the role of the media and political expediency and how they play in making images icons as they're seen today. Really, really interesting read. Some really, really interesting images from um, from Stuart uh, from the Tiananmen Square thing, which you know was 30 years ago now, uh, 31 years ago. Um, I actually managed to pick up a book a few years ago. Oh, I can't remember the name of the photographer, but I will list. I will list it in the usual place along with the podcast links. Um, it's probably still available. It, it seemed as though it was everywhere at the time, but it's a really good book. Um, you know, the name of the photographer nearly came into my head then. Uh, but yeah, it's a really, really good book. Um, but yeah, Stuart Franklin's work and his discussion about, you know, what makes an iconic photographer uh, photograph is is well worth uh, well worth a read. It's quite interesting because I think he's trying to downplay the iconic. He realises that the picture that he took is iconic, but I think it's quite generous of him to say, you know, that I didn't, I wasn't the only one who took that photo. Uh, there was other people. I mean, there's even film, um, TV footage of the man because he's stepping as a, the the tank sways from side to side, moves from side to side, so it's trying to bypass this guy in this road um, heading towards Tiananmen Square. The guy moves. It's it's kind of you know the, there's this person in this tank, there's this human being, and yet the human being has got the upper hand on the tank because the tank is not willing to go and run him over. So it's whatever movement a tank makes, the human, the man, can make a counter move to stop the tank from going by. Um, I mean, unless you are willing to run someone over with a tank, it is... Unless you start using uh, the weapons on board, you know, it is sort of limited, really, with what you can do with it. And I suppose it, it's asymmetric warfare, really, in... There's this little guy, and there's this huge column of tanks, and then he manages to stop the column of tanks. It's a remarkable picture, a remarkable man who uh, who who did it. And uh, I know that probably if you search it, I will see if I can find that link as well, because I'm sure that someone researched and found out who that man was. But, yeah, if you are interested in what makes an iconic photograph and the, the reasons why some photos become iconic, have a look at Stuart Franklin's article that's on the magnum website um the next one is also a magnum website this is quality of mercy covid19 in the uk it's all kind of like starting to wind down here or you would think it is there's an awful lot of people in the uk and i'm sure that wherever you are whichever part of the world you are listening to this podcast in uh it's pretty similar you know there's everybody's oh well summer's arrived you know everything's starting to settle down we'll be able to go back to normal and sadly i don't know whether that's going to be the case um this might be the the quiet before the storm might not be but i do think that we we've kind of underestimated how these epidemics 
sort of they're almost like the classic zombie film where you shoot the zombie, the zombie falls down, you think that it's all over, and then uh, the zombie starts getting up again. Um, it's it's kind of like that, really, with a lot of epidemics. Uh, a lot of the epidemiologists certainly aren't convinced that it's gone yet, and even into next year, which is quite a scary thought. But this is another set of images from Stuart Franklin. Um where he reports on the experiences of medical staff at London's West Middlesex University Hospital examining how the UK government endangered many who might have been safe. So it's kind of going on... Um, it's, it's basically looking at... looking behind the news stories, really, where it's it's talking about the physical and psychological impact of COVID on doctors and nurses faced with saving lives and protecting patients. And... I mean, it's a fantastic article to read. Um, the images are, you know, very interesting. And, you know, some of the pictures were used by the Sunday Times magazine, which is nice to see. It's, it's nice to actually see photojournalism on the cover of a magazine we we tend to think that you know you know a lot of it's just sort of celebrity based now i i suppose it greatly depends on where what the story is about and really covid is the biggest story at the moment that affects everybody or but yeah some fantastic uh some fantastic portraits and really delves into the, the sort of problems facing the COVID wards at the moment. There is a really great Radio 4 podcast that I would certainly recommend anybody wanting to know what's going on with uh, COVID in the UK and how the NHS is coping with it in a, an amazing fashion, really is. I mean, uh, frontline stuff. Um, I will link that as well in the podcast. There's going to be loads of links in this this month. But yeah, have a listen to that. It's probably a good listening while you're actually reading and looking at the images in this article because even though the podcast is recorded in a hospital in Bradford in West Yorkshire, uh, a lot of what's being said in that is sort of reflected in this article by... Stuart Franklin. So, yeah, that's the quality of Mercy COVID-19 in the UK. Quite quite damning stuff, really. Um, it's, it's saying about how you know, we think we've got a hand on it. It's a typical human sort of thing, you know. Oh, you know, we've got this and we haven't. We haven't got a control over it at all. We're having to basically make it up on the fly, which is never a great thing. So the next one is another Magnum. I didn't realise there were so many Magnum links this, this month, but, you know, some really good stuff. Uh, 1968, Power, Protest and Politics. Basically, these photographs from a tumultuous year of uprisings and unrest. I'm sure that everybody can see the correlation between the late 60s and, you know, 2020 with what's been happening with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, 
I suppose a sad thing is isn't really Black Lives Matter is just trying to continue that great work that the likes of Martin Luther King and uh, and others in the late sixties were were trying to do just trying to improve things for everybody for everybody that's the, the critical thing but there are some uh, great pictures these pictures are Raymond Depardon um, who was there taking the photographs at anti-Vietnam war protest Demo democratic convention Chicago 68 uh, Again, a, a United States divided at the time because of Vietnam. People believing that you know Vietnam is somewhere where America should be should have been fighting. Others, not so much. But there was also the other thing about uh, you know the 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 rights of people. I mean. It's, it's, Quite honestly, it, it sort of does read a lot like the headlines at the moment. You would have thought that we would have learned something over 30 years, but apparently we don't seem to have done. But anyway, it, it is something very interesting to have a look through. There are other images as well, especially the ones that I especially like, and it's a book that I would love to get, is the, the, the Paul Fusco Robert Kennedy funeral train. If you have a searching google and try and find a gallery of uh robert fusco's work robert if you probably put in like i said robert fusco which is f-u-s-c-o um robert kennedy funeral train 1968 you will probably come up with a lot of robert's images absolutely fantastic and sort of captures a nice side of america at the time uh, with everything going on in the late 60s, Robert Kennedy being shot, Martin Luther King Jr. being shot, uh, Malcolm X, there was riots, there was demonstrations about Vietnam, there was all sorts of things going on in the United States, some of which still haven't been reconciled even to this day. Um, even some of those arguments about Vietnam are still there for a lot of people about what America means and why they got out and who's to blame for that etc etc um, but the Robert Fusco stuff is a beautiful part of that all of it colour work, all of it shot from a train just of people paying their respects to Bobby Kennedy really really beautiful set of images check that out and the final one I'm going to mention is Shirley Baker's Street Scenes of Manchester and Salford. This is from the BBC News website, so it's not all Magnum. Um, and this is just a beautiful set of street photography captured by Shirley Baker, um, who caught the caught on film the daily life of working class communities in post-war England uh, uh, it's black and white images and colour images and portraits and documentary stuff um, really really superb images well worth a look uh, I mean if you're into like candid portraits or just seeing what makes uh 
seeing what makes a really good street photograph, well worth uh, a look at Shirley Baker's work, and that's on the BBC website. So that is it. Uh, it's coming up to 32 minutes in length, which is, I don't suppose is too bad, considering, like I say, some of the podcasts I listen to are over three hours. That is it for now. Um, please do check out the bonus podcast, which is the one before this, that was released about Larry Burroughs. Not quite sure whether I mentioned as much about Larry as I wanted to. It was sort of... I wanted to keep it as a certain uh, certain length. But the reason for that was... There's plenty that you can find online if you stick Larry Burroughs' photographer into Google. You'll be able to find all sorts of biographies and things about him. And I just wanted to concentrate on two excellent books. Hopefully that came across in the recording. So that's it. Thanks very much for listening to this podcast. And I will be back next month with the July podcast. Until then, bye.